For several Christmases, my wife used to ask me the question, do you want to drive around and look at Christmas lights? And for four years in a row, I said yes. We would load the kids into the minivan and venture out into the greater Pottstown area in search of said Christmas lights. My wife no longer asked me if I want to go look at Christmas lights because every time we did it, it was an absolute train wreck. We would always bribe the kids to go by telling them that they would get a hot chocolate, and for literally three straight years without exception, we would give them the hot chocolate, and one of them or two of them or all of them would spill the hot chocolate all over themselves, burn their tongues before we even saw a single icicle light. There were tears to dry, clothes to change, and a mess to clean. You know you shouldn't do it when you have to bring a change of clothes for every member of the family. The last time we attempted this futile holiday tradition a few years ago, it ended with three members of my family, quote-unquote, feeling carsick. So we went home and ordered Chinese, which is what you do when you're feeling carsick. (laughs) See, the real reason we stopped looking at Christmas lights is because it was completely not worth it. Don't get me wrong, I can appreciate all of you people who decorate for the holidays, but for me, it is improbable for a light show to be so impressive that I want to endure meltdowns, messes, and motion sickness. Our family doesn't need to go through the hassle to see Christmas lights because they don't matter. I'm sorry, but they just don't. They're just decoration. They might be nice to look at, but we can live without them. But we couldn't say the same thing about other lights in our lives, could we? How dangerous would the world be if we all drove around at night with no headlights or streetlights? What if we laid down to read a book today and there was no light in the room and it was completely dark? We would strain our eyes and eventually lose our sight. Or imagine if you were having surgery this week and the surgeon told you he wanted to try something new. It's called a dark operation where he goes into a pitch black room and cuts you open. How much of us feel the desire or how many of us feel the desire for the sun after a week of overcast skies and rainy days? Some lights we can live without, but others keep us alive. If you have been with us over the last several weeks, you know by now that we are in a part of the Gospel of John that records the time that Jesus went to the city of Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is actually at the feast over three chapters of John, 7, 8, and 9. I've told you a good bit about the Feast of Tabernacles, but let me just remind you what it's all about. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of three Jewish feasts where every male over 20 years old would have to go to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. The feast lasted eight days, and the Israelites were commanded by God to celebrate this feast in commemoration of when they lived in the desert after God had rescued them in an event called the Exodus. The Exodus, for those who don't know, is a time when God led all of Israel, about two million people, out of the nation of Egypt and set them free. The only problem was they had to go on a 40-year camping trip in the desert first. During the Feast of Tabernacles, faithful Jews from all over Israel would set up temporary shelters or tents around the temple in Jerusalem and sleep in them as a way of remembering how it was for their ancestors in the wilderness. The feast was the most anticipated, joyful, and celebratory in all of Israel. You might remember a couple weeks ago when I shared that during the feast, the high priest, the most holy guy in all of Israel, would take a golden pitcher, go down to the pool of Siloam, get some water, and then walk around the altar in the temple. And he would pour out this water as a way to remind the Israelites that when they were in the desert, God provided water for them out of a rock. 
And if you remember in John chapter 7, it was during the ceremony that Jesus called out to the crowd, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What I haven't told you is that every night during the Feast of Tabernacles, as the sun was going down, there were four enormous candelabras that were higher than the walls of the temple. And one of the people who worked at the temple would get on a ladder and climb to the top of these enormous torches, and he would light them. And the light from these torches would basically light up the entire city of Jerusalem. Like the water ceremony, the lighting of these massive lamps was meant to remind the Israelites about something that happened when they were wandering in the desert. In Exodus 13, verse 21, it tells us this about the Israelites during the desert. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. So understand that these massive lamps that were lit during the Feast of Tabernacles were meant to be a reminder that when Israel was in the desert, they were not left alone. God provided his presence and he directed them with fire. And it was in the light of these lamps that every night during the Feast of Tabernacles, men and women, children would dance and feast and celebrate the presence of God among them the leadership of God among them. And just like in John 7, Jesus said something about how he is the true water, this is what Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, about himself. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to talk to you this morning about the simple and yet profound truth that Jesus is the light of the world. For the Jewish people who were rooted in the Old Testament scriptures, they would have known what Jesus was claiming about himself when he said that he was the light of the world. There are three realities about who God is that the Old Testament uses light as a metaphor to point to. The first is this, in the Old Testament, light represented God's presence. As we have already seen, it was the light from the pillar of fire that led the Israelites in the desert. And you could imagine that if you were on a camping trip with two million of your closest friends and there was a big fireball in the sky, that you would know God was with you. The second, light was used to describe God's salvation. Psalm 27 verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then the prophet Isaiah prophesied a time when we wouldn't need the moon or the sun because God's salvation, God himself, would be our light. Listen to Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. The sun will be no more, or the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Light was symbolic for Israel in that God's salvation would come and permanently drive away the darkness. Literally, the light of God's salvation would extinguish darkness forever. And then there's a third way. 
that light is used as a metaphor to describe God's word. God's word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And then the same Psalm, verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The word of God served as a light in the sense that it's through God's word, that truth and reality are illuminated for us. So think for a moment about what Jesus is saying about himself when he says to this crowd during the Feast of Tabernacles, I am the light of the world. Jesus is claiming that he is the very presence of God among us. He is claiming that he is the one who is God's salvation. He is claiming that he is the word of God, the one who is God's message to the world. And John has already told us all of, of, all of this about Jesus already. Remember how the gospel of John opens up? Maybe you don't. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Same themes. John says, in the beginning was the word. He's talking about Jesus when he calls Jesus the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And because this is who Jesus is, he alone can say that whoever follows him, whoever believes in him, will have the light of life. Don't miss this. Jesus is telling his Jewish audience during their biggest and most celebratory feast, he is saying, I am God. I am God. Don't let anyone tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. They just haven't studied for seven seconds to realize that. Jesus says repeatedly, he is God. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus does not say, I am the light of the Jewish people. He says that he is the light of the world. In the book of Isaiah, there is a whole section of prophecies from chapters 40 through chapter 55 about a mysterious figure that one day God would raise up. In Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 55, this mysterious figure was called the servant of the Lord. Many Bible scholars, and you don't even need to be a Bible scholar to figure this out, believe that the servant of the Lord was in fact Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfills so many of those prophecies that were said about the servant of the Lord. Listen to this one in Isaiah 49 verse 6. This is about the servant. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. So God is saying about his servant, you know what? It's too much of a small time thing for you to only be the restorer of Israel. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that's why we're here this morning, right? Because his salvation has reached to the ends of the earth. The reason you're here today, hearing about Jesus Christ, is because Isaiah 49, verse 6, is true. Jesus didn't just come to be a light for Israel. Jesus came to be the light of the whole world. It is God's will that the light of Jesus is meant to shine into every dark corner of this world.
And that's why Jesus not only calls himself the light of the world, he also calls you and I the light of the world. Anyone who is following Jesus, you are also the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, Connection Church, and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is the light of the world and so are we. Do you understand that you and I, we are carriers of the light? No, we are not God. But because we believe in Jesus, we possess light. And I just want you to know that's why we exist as a church. To be the light. To share the hope of Jesus Christ. To let the world know that salvation is possible through the Son of God. And I also want you to know that just because the weather's getting warm and you're looking forward to a vacation, Connection Church, we are not taking the summer off from being the light. Here's what every pastor knows. During the summer, it's depressing. The sun comes out and everyone goes to the beach. And then when they're not even planning to be on vacation, they wake up and say, you know what's better than being with the people of God? Let's go for a hike. Let's go for a bike ride. Let's camp for the 100th time this year. Because we just think like, hey, I can just do what I want. It's summer. We give ourselves permission during the summer to indulge our selfishness. Now, raise your hand if you're going on vacation. Have an amazing time. I'm going to go. And I'm going to have an amazing time. My second vacation, my first one is a staycation with a newborn. I'll probably be here. I'm actually going to sleep over. And then the next one, we're going to go to Lake George. We go to Lake George every year. I'm going to have an awesome vacation. So you're like, Joe, are you hating on vacations? No. I'm saying rest well, but when you're here, give it all for Christ. We have lots of opportunities this year for you to be light over the summer. Pastor Kerry mentioned our summer fun camp from June 24th through the 27th. We have over 215 kids coming onto our property that we get to share the light and the love of Jesus with. Pastor Andrew's going to tell you at the end of our service about our summer interest groups. We do summer interest groups so you have a place to connect, yes, and you have a place to invite people so that they can experience being around Christians who are not supposed to be grumpy and judgmental, but the light. And you're not those people, by the way. I don't sense that at all in our church. I really don't. One of the things my wife and I say often about this church is we can't believe how much we love the people. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I have some friends who wouldn't say that who are in ministry. And some of my friends who've come into the church, you know what they say to me? They say, I can't believe how nice and cool the people are here. Now listen, I'm not patting ourselves on the back what I'm saying is, is keep being the light. Keep having your arms wide open to lost people, to new people. We're not trying to keep Connection Church this small little family where we know everybody. I don't know everybody. You know what's happened to me a few times? I will run into people in a store and they'll be like, hi, Pastor Joe. And I'm like, boom, never saw you before. What's your name? Because <laughs> the goal is not for everyone to know me. Praise his name, right? If you know me, that's not a good goal for your life. 
The goal is for everyone to know Jesus. So we can be the light when we welcome people in. When people walk through our doors on Sunday morning, we're all the hospitality team. Welcoming and loving and serving. And if we're, are we going to offend people? Yeah, there's an offensive part coming up in my message in about five minutes. We're okay if we offend with the word of God, but not with, with our attitudes towards new people. And you know what? I think we're doing awesome with that. Let's keep loving and welcoming and inviting and being the light. All right. Like I said, this passage, it gets difficult. As you might have come to expect, every time Jesus says something about who he is, he is always met with opposition and resistance. Listen to what the Pharisees say to Jesus after he says, I am the light of the world. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So this is a legal challenge by the Pharisees. They believe that because Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world, he should have to provide two or three witnesses to verify that he is the light of the world. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and guess who the other witness is? My dad, who sent me. Look at verse 19. This is hysterical. Then they asked him, where's your dad at? Like they actually thought, these people are dense. They actually thought Jesus was going to pull out from the crowd like, oh, here he is. His name's Ron. Ron? Tell them that I'm the light of the world. They don't understand at all that Jesus has been talking how his father is God. And then Jesus says this. He says, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And John put that in there, no one seized him, because Jesus is claiming to be God. So the Pharisees had every right to arrest him, try him, and execute him on the charge of blasphemy. And that is actually why Jesus was crucified. He was convicted on the charge of blasphemy, claiming to be God. Verse 21, once more Jesus said to the Pharisees, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you can't come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? So the Pharisees think Jesus is going to commit suicide. They don't realize that Jesus is simply telling them, hey guys, your time is running out. You need to turn from your sin. Verse 23, but Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sin. Even in the midst of their resistance, Jesus is inviting them to believe. Verse 25, the Pharisees ask, who are you? Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. That's the goal of all preaching. Speak only what God has said. 
The one who sent me is with me, Jesus said. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases my dad. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So it's important for us to understand what's going on here, because some of us wrongly believe that Jesus was simply a really nice guy who said pithy statements, kissed babies, and healed sick people. Some of us think that most people, other than terrorists, abusers, and murderers, are basically good people who make mistakes now and then. Some of you, you think about yourself that way. I am a good person, and every once in a while on Tuesday, I do the wrong thing. Some of us think Jesus never told people they were going to hell if they didn't believe in him. But from the mouth of Jesus, we learn those are all lies. Our sentimental, truth-hating culture feeds us. Many of us need to repent of embracing a one-dimensional Jesus. Yes, Jesus is incredibly loving, merciful, and gracious, but he is also full of truth, righteousness, and sees himself as the exclusive connection between God and man. It might seem like this passage went from being about Jesus being the light of the world to the Pharisees putting Jesus on trial, but this whole passage is about Jesus being the light of the world. In this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, we see Jesus shining his light right into the hearts of the Pharisees, and it exposes them for who they are and where they are at. It's in this moment of Jesus' life that we see that the light of Jesus not only pushes back the darkness when we believe in him, but also the light of Jesus reveals the darkness in us when we refuse to believe him. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is Jesus' light exposes unbelief. Jesus' light exposes unbelief. Last week, I got to go golfing on the Jersey Shore with a friend of mine, and we got paired up with a local celebrity. If I said his name, maybe you would know his name, and if you want to know it, that's fine. You can come ask me after. It's not that exciting. But this guy was one of the nicest guys I ever met. But what he did is what most people do when they find out I'm a pastor. So here's what it's like to be a pastor on a golf course. First of all, I try to hold out as long as possible from telling anyone I'm a pastor because nothing says welcome to the wet blanket on your golf game like, oh, I'm a minister. No one's excited about that except God's people. And a lot of them aren't at the golf course apparently. So anyway, this guy said to me what people always say to me, I'll try not to curse. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've never heard any of those words before. And I've definitely never said them when I was golfing. I am maybe not that serious about that. Anyway, he says this to me. I used to swear on the golf course. It was a long time ago. Um, He said this to me, and uh, I said back to him, and this is the first time I use this line, and it's going to be my standard line now. When he said, I'll try not to curse, I said, well, I don't think I'm the one you should be worried about. And uh, that's like super judgy, right? But it's true, right? Like he thought, he thought my presence meant he needed to change his behavior because he didn't want to be exposed for who he really was. Because listen, just because you stop swearing around a pastor doesn't mean vulgarity is not in your heart. It just means you're behavior modifying because you're in a moment where you perceive someone as holy. But when Jesus shows up, he always exposes who we really are 
because he knows the exact truth about who we really are. He knows our unbelief. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus repeatedly says that he didn't come to judge or to condemn. He came to save, and that is the truth. However, because Jesus is the light, because he is the very presence of God, because he came to bring salvation, and because he came as the living word of God, when he gets around people who hate the light and love darkness, he exposes their true spiritual condition. Listen to verses 23 and 24. You are from below, Pharisees. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Jesus says to the Pharisees that their present spiritual condition is that they're in sin. How in the world can the most holy people in all all of Israel be spiritually dead How can it be possible to be a spiritual person and not have any life in you? And the creator of the universe says, you are going to die in your sin. Simple. You haven't come to the light yet. Jesus not only tells them that there's about their spiritual condition, you're in sin. Jesus also says you're going to go to hell. Look at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you can't come. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. Jesus knew he was going to be murdered on a Roman cross. He knew he would rise from the dead, and he knew he would return to his Father and ascend back into heaven. That's what Jesus meant when he said, where I'm going, you can't come. Jesus knew he was going up to sit at the right hand of God. But to those who refused him, he said, guess what, dudes? You're not coming Jesus is telling his opponents that they are going to spend eternity separated from God because of their unbelief. The scriptures teach over and over again that refusing to believe in Jesus, refusal to follow Jesus, refusal to come to Jesus results in spending eternity in hell apart from him. This truth is not in style right now. You're not getting ready to tweet that. You're not going to go home and make an artistic Instagram post around that and get a lot of likes. But it doesn't make it less true. Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sin. It's true for the Pharisees, and it's true for you today. Some of you, you've been coming for a long time, and you're like, I'm not sure I want to follow Jesus, and you're hemming and hawing, and you don't want to let go of your life. Like, you know if you come to Jesus, you're going to have to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're going to have to give up your porn habit. You might have to start giving your money. You're going to be accountable to God. Like, you're already there. The light of God is already shining on your life, and he knows your sin. And some of you don't want to come to Jesus because you feel like it's too much to give up. And just hear it from the mouth of Jesus today. You will die in your sin. But I got good news. Jesus didn't walk around just telling people they were going to hell. In fact, he made it clear that it's possible to get to heaven. It's possible to be made right with God. Listen to this exchange between Jesus and his disciples right before his arrest and execution. This is how you get to heaven. Jesus says this, Hey guys, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus isn't walking around telling everyone, you can't get into heaven, you can't get into heaven, I don't want you there. No, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm preparing a place and there's room enough for everyone who wants to come. You just can't come if you don't believe in me. Jesus, catch this, Jesus wants us to be where he is. It's pretty popular right now, and I have hear pastors and church leaders say this all the time. They say, the Christian life is not about getting into heaven. I, I know. Like, the Christian life begins today. The kingdom of God is here now. There's a reality to your relationship with Jesus that is right now. But can I tell you something? Sometimes you ever do the math? Like, I'm 37 years old, and I think, okay, like, I'm a pretty healthy guy. Sometimes people say to me, someone has said this to me recently, tall people don't live long. Thank you. I love you a lot for telling me that. <laughs> but I'm like, maybe I'll live another 50 years. I'll be 87. 50 years sounds like a long time to me. You know what sounds longer? A hundred billion. Like, let's not undersell heaven. Like, Jesus wants us to be there. You're going to spend an infinite, an infinite amount of time longer in heaven than you are on this broken down world. And some of you, you're just living for this world. And the great thing about following Jesus is, no matter what you go through in this life, you know the better day is coming. We're not escapist. We're realist. We live right here, right now, in the midst of the brokenness of our world, being the light, loving God, loving people, sharing the good news about who Jesus is. But we're also people of profound hope. All the suffering's going to end someday. Like, have you ever hurt yourself sleeping? You wake up in the morning, you're like, what happened? You're just old. <laughs> like, how did I do that? I turned over and pulled the muscle. I work out. I do. You're like, really? No lying in church. I work out. And sometimes after I'm done working out, I get home and like I run two and a half miles on the treadmill and I get home and I'm like, my knees are killing me walking up the stairs. And I'm like, what's happening? I'm feeling my temporariness. The Bible tells us we are here today and gone tomorrow. Man, I, I know that the Christian life isn't only about getting into heaven, but my goodness, that is a huge promise we want to live by. That Jesus went and prepared a place for us, and he says he wants to be with us? If we took a poll and said, let's line everyone up and vote if we want to spend all eternity with them, I don't know how it would go for all of us. On some of our hard days, we may not want to see people ever again. And Jesus is like, you know what I really want? I want to be with you forever. <laughs> how much does our God love us? You know the way to the place where I'm going, Jesus says. And then Thomas said, Lord, uh, you know, it's funny you say that. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Here's one of my all-time favorite scriptures. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you understand the heart of God? 
The heart of God is this. There is one incredibly exclusive message. Jesus is the only way. But there's one incredibly inclusive message. All are invited to come to him. That's why it's so important that we live our lives as the light of the world. That's why we give to missions. That's why we're sending 16 people to Guatemala. That's why our church this year has over $50,000 committed to missions. And I hope over the next couple years, my heart for our church is that we would get to the place where we're giving $100,000 a year regularly to missions, to local outreach, to sharing the gospel around this community. That's why we invite us to give. That's why we invite you to serve. That's why we invite you to make church a priority in your life over sports, over hobbies, over everything except vacation. Like you can go on vacation, but, but, but we never take breaks from Jesus. He comes first. Why? Because we have the best message in the world. Because we are the light. And the heart of God, the heart of God is that everyone would come to Jesus put their faith in him, and become a child of God. That's why Jesus died, and that's why Jesus' words are still true. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to close with this question today, and then we're going to receive communion. Are you walking in darkness? Are you walking in darkness? I mean that in two ways today. First, are you walking in the darkness of being an unbeliever? Are you walking in the darkness of not knowing Jesus Christ? I want you to know today, take a big step towards the light, put your faith in Jesus, and you don't have to be in the dark anymore. Come to Jesus. Understand that God is for you. He is not against you. Understand God wants you to be his son, to be his daughter. That is the heart of God. Come and put your faith in Jesus today. How do you do that? You, in your seat right now, you just call out to the Lord. Lord, I, I want to put my faith in you. I want to become a child of God. I want to get out of the dark and into the light. But I also mean this the second way. Are you walking in darkness? If you know Jesus, I still want to ask you, are you walking in darkness? And what I mean by that is, is what's your lifestyle like? What are you trying to hide from God? This morning, Jeff led us in a song. We welcome you with praise, and it says, To you our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. Nothing is hidden because God sees everything. But some of us, we come in here and we think we're hiding stuff. We're hiding, maybe, affairs. We're hiding, maybe, addictions. We're hiding, maybe, that we're stealing from our work. We're hiding maybe that we're being emotionally and verbally abusive to our spouse and to our children. We're hiding laziness, not giving our best effort at work, mailing it in. Some of us were hiding. Some of us were walking in the darkness of vulgarity. We're perverted. Maybe some of us are hiding our drinking problem. Some of us are hiding our history on our internet browser. And I just want to let you know this morning that our God is incredibly gracious. But in 1 John chapter 1, it says, walk in the light as God is in the light. And so when God looks over our church, we are saved by grace. 
but we are called to holiness. Peter tells us, be holy as God is holy. And I just want you to know, my heart for our church is that we would live in the grace of God. And we all need to be forgiven. And we all have issues and we all have struggles, but we don't make excuses for them. We are passionate for purity. We're passionate to be people of the light. We're passionate for our lifestyle, our preaching, to match our walking. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about you too. If you are a follower of Jesus, come in the light. Confess your sin. Confess to your spouse. Confess to a godly brother or sister. Get accountability in your life if you keep running towards the darkness because the truth is we are all drawn to darkness. That's why we need each other. That's why we have connection groups. That's why we need to be loving each other, having each other in our homes. We don't just need to be in rows. We need to be in circles. We need to be around tables. We need to be sharing our lives with each other and asking each other real questions like, how's your walk with Jesus? I know for me, I'm drawn to the darkness. And so I have to tell the people around me, help me walk in the light. Pastor Andrew, on Monday mornings, ask me accountability questions about my life. Why? Because I want to walk in the light. And all I'm saying, I'm only saying that because some of us, we've accepted that the darkness is normal and it's not. Come into the light. Live pure before the Lord. Not perfectly, not like some spiritual superhero. but may the deepest desire of our heart, may the deepest desire of our heart be to be holy like God is holy. Is that true of you? Come out of the darkness and walk in the light. Ushers, would you come? We're gonna receive communion this morning. The goal of communion is to remember what Jesus has done for us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to receive communion even if this is not your church. If you're not a follower of Jesus, become one. Put your faith in him. And if you don't want to receive communion today, absolutely zero pressure, no problem, no judgment, no condemnation. We understand and we trust you to make that decision. We're going to sing together.